Suppose you wanted to do something special for my wife on her birthday. Let me give you a list of things you probably don't want to do. Don't invite her to a sporting event. She has zero interest in sports of any kind. Don't plan an all-day shopping trip. That is not her thing. Don't take her out for sushi. She doesn't like it. Don't plan a day at the beach. Besides the fact that her birthday is in early February, my wife is not a beach bum. If you really want to do something special for my wife, think books, sweets, coffee, fellowship with Christian women, pretty journals and stationery. Those are all things that she enjoys. The point is this. If you're going to celebrate my wife's birthday, you should do it in a way that she would like. Right? On Easter, we celebrate the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. See, this day is about Him. Shouldn't we celebrate it in a way that He would like? We gather for worship to sing and preach about His victory over sin, death, and the grave, and no doubt the Lord wants us to do that. But is there something else we might be missing? Is there something else He would want us to do as a way of honoring Him and His resurrection. Actually, there is, and we see it in Matthew 28, verses 1 through 10. I want to invite you to take your Bible and look with me to Matthew 28, verses 1 through 10. In these verses, we experience the first Easter morning through the eyes of a group of ladies. Listen as I read God's Word. Matthew 28, verses 1 through 10. Now after the Sabbath, as it began to dawn toward the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary came to look at the grave. And behold, a severe earthquake had occurred. For an angel of the Lord had descended from heaven and came and rolled away the stone and sat upon it. And his appearance was like lightning and his clothing as white as snow. The guards shook for fear of him and became like dead men. The angel said to the women, Do not be afraid, for I know that you are looking for Jesus who has been crucified. He is not here, for he has risen, just as he said. Come, see the place where he was lying. Go quickly and tell his disciples that he has risen from the dead. And behold, he is going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him. Behold. I have told you. And they left the tomb quickly with fear and great joy and ran to report it to his disciples. And behold, Jesus met them and greeted them. And they came up and took hold of his feet and worshipped him. Then Jesus said to them, Do not be afraid. Go and take word to my brethren to leave for Galilee. And there they will see me. Let's pray. O oh Lord, please open your word to us and open us to your word. We ask it for Christ's sake. Amen. The message of these verses will come together for us as we make three observations 
from the text. Here's the first thing I want you to see. I want you to notice an act of loving devotion. An act of loving devotion. I want you to notice the time. In verse 1, it says, It was after the Sabbath as it began to dawn toward the first day of the week. Sabbath was from sundown on Friday to sundown on Saturday. So the Sabbath is over, and he tells us it's just beginning to dawn on Sunday morning. Not even this much daylight yet. Just barely cracking dawn. And there are some women on the way to the tomb. He mentions two of them. Mary Magdalene, who's a woman Jesus cast seven demons out of, and Mary he just calls her here the other Mary. She was married the mother of James and Joseph. These ladies are on the way to the tomb very, very early on Sunday morning. Now, we know from reading Mark's Gospel why they were going to the tomb. They were going to anoint Jesus' body with spices and things, kind of what we would think of as embalming His body. You see, He died late on a Friday afternoon, and because the Sabbath began at sundown and Passover, they couldn't leave him on the cross, so he had to get him down and bury him quickly before, sun, before sun, sundown. So they took him down. Joseph of Arimathea and a man named Nicodemus, who we meet in John chapter 3, they took him down, they wrapped his body, and they did put quite a bit of spices on his body, and they put it in the tomb. But that wasn't sufficient for these ladies, that they had done something kind of hurriedly. No, no, these ladies had to make sure the body of their Lord received the care that it deserved. This is a priority for these ladies. They don't even wait for it to get fully daylight. Now, we need to be clear, they're not expecting Him to be alive. If you'll notice, the text says they went to see the grave. Right? Not the Lord. They're going to anoint His body. So if they don't expect Him to be alive, what's driving them? I mean, what's... Why are they getting up so early? Why is this so important to them? They are driven by a loving devotion. I want to show you something. In Matthew 27, the verses we read this morning, I want to show you two places. First of all, look at verses 55 and verse 56. May, uh, many women were there at the cross looking on from a distance, who had followed Jesus from Galilee while ministering to them. Among them was Mary Magdalene and, mother, and Mary, the mother of James and Joseph, and the mother of the sons of Zebedee. Notice what's happening here. It says these, Jesus had followed Jesus, uh, these women had followed Jesus all the way from Galilee. That means they had given their lives pretty much full time. The following Christ, and it says they were ministering to Him. That means they were caring for Him. We know they supported financially what He was doing. They were taking care of whatever needs He and His disciples might have. They had given themselves full time to following Christ and ministering to Him. And even as He died, they are still right there beside Him. Now keep this in mind. All the men had scattered and run. Not these ladies. They are right there. Still with their Lord. Now look at verses 58 to 61 of Matthew 27. Joseph of Arimathea goes to Pilate to ask for the body. 
Pilate says the body should be given to him. Joseph took the body, wrapped it in a clean linen cloth, laid it on his own new tomb, or in his own new tomb, which he had hewn out of a rock. He rolled a stone away uh, against the entrance of the tomb and went away. And Mary Magdalene was there, and the other Mary sitting opposite the grave. Here they are again. This time, not at the cross, but at the tomb. Even as their Lord is laid to rest, they're still there, right by His side. They've left their homes and their families and followed Him full time ever since He left Galilee, staying with Him, ministering to Him. When He goes to the cross, the men scatter, not those ladies, they're right there. Even as they put Him in the tomb, they follow them all the way to the grave, still there by his side. Now when we come to Matthew 28 verse 1, our text for this morning, we see them for the third time. In just a matter of verses, we see them again. As soon as it's light enough to see where they're going, they're going back to the tomb again. I want you to notice what Matthew's trying to do here. He is calling our attention to these ladies. Three times he puts them in front of our eyes so that we see them and what they're doing. He sees, he wants us to see the depth of their love and devotion for Jesus. He, here's what I need you to see. Their loving devotion for Jesus was unwavering. They weren't concerned about public opinion. The crowd had just had Jesus crucified. They didn't care what people thought about their actions. They weren't concerned about the Jews or the Romans persecuting them and giving them a hard time. No, no, they didn't care about any of that. The only thing they were concerned about as they walked to the grave that early morning was one of the other Gospels tells us they talked about who was going to roll the stone away from the grave so they could anoint His body. That's the only thing they were worried about. Don't miss what Matthew is doing here. He is holding these ladies up to you and I as an example for all Christians. He wants us to see this undying love and devotion. And he's trying to tell us every Christian should have the same kind of loving devotion for Jesus that these ladies did. In Edinburgh, Scotland, there's a story that's got to be pretty famous about a man and his dog. It's a true story. It began in the year 1850 when John Gray came to the city. He came to be a gardener. That's what he was by trade, but he was unable to find work, so he joined the police force as a night watchman. To keep him company through the long nights, he would bring his little sky terrier, his little dog. He'd take him with him on his rounds, and they kind of became part of the living landscape of the city at night. Well, later, in 1858, John contracted tuberculosis and died that winter. He was buried in Greyfriars Kirkyard Cemetery. What happened next became legendary in the city. Bobby, the little sky carrier, would not leave the grave. Literally would not leave the grave. Except at midday when people would bring him food, he would not leave. He stayed there day and night at his master's grave. The caretaker of the cemetery tried over and over to evict the little dog, but it wouldn't work. He wouldn't leave. Finally, the caretaker put a little shelter there by the grave for the dog to sleep in. Well, at one point, the city actually passed an ordinance that all unlicensed dogs would be destroyed, would be put down. 
When that happened, the Lord Provost of Edinburgh, whose name was William Chambers, he actually bought a license for the little dog and put a collar on him. And until that dog's death, 14 years later, the citizens cared for that dog while he stayed right there at his master's grave. And if you go today to Edinburgh, Scotland, to Greyfriars Kirkyard Cemetery, across the street there's a, there's a statue, a sculpture of Bobby, that little dog, and it has these words. Greyfriars Bobby died 14 January 1872, aged 16 years. Let his loyalty and devotion be a lesson to us all. See, for that dog, it didn't matter that his master was dead, he was still his master. See, don't you see, that's the same way these ladies feel. It didn't matter that the Lord was dead. He was still their Lord. What this is, is a beautiful picture of loving devotion. You and I and every Christian should be marked by that same kind of loving devotion. Especially since our Lord and Master isn't dead. He's alive. That leads us to the second observation I want to make from these verses. First, we noticed an act of loving devotion. Now notice this, the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. When we come to verse 2 and 3, we're introduced to a character called the angel of the Lord. The angel of the Lord primarily served as a messenger from God to the people to prepare for God's appearance and some great activity. Now, this angel seems to be distinguished from other angels. He usually shows up when something very, very significant is about to happen. For instance, this is the angel we see back in Matthew chapter 1, verse 20, that tells Joseph that his wife Mary, or soon to be wife Mary, is pregnant with the Lord Jesus by the Holy Spirit. This is an angel set aside for significant occasions and purposes. The angel comes, it says in verse 2, and his coming causes a severe earthquake, a violent earthquake. And as the earth shakes, the, the, the stone in front of that tomb is shaken out of its place, opening the tomb. And it says the angel sits on top of the stone. What he's doing here, it signifies God's power has triumphed over death and the grave. It's kind of like if you've seen the, the statue or the picture of the Marines raising the flag on Iwo Jima. It, you know, it signifies we've conquered this land. We have victory and they raise the flag. Well, that's similar to what the angel's doing. He sits on top of that stone to signify God's victory over death and the grave. But notice what it says about the angel in verse 3. Look at it. His appearance was like lightning and his clothing as white as snow. We see a very similar description when we look at Jesus in Matthew 17 on the mountain of transfiguration. This is what it says. Jesus was transfigured before them. His face shone like the sun. His garments became as white as light. 
So what is Matthew telling us about this angel as he describes him in brilliant white, shining like the sun? He's trying to tell us that this angel is displaying something of the glory of God. What he wants us to see is that this angel is acting with and for and in the power of God. He wants us to see that the glory and power of God has intervened in the death of Jesus to raise him from the dead. And it tells us the guards, verse 4, it says, shook for fear of him and became like dead men. That simply means they fainted dead away. Then the heavenly messenger announces the message that God had sent him to announce. Verses 5 and 6, we see it. The angel said to the women, basically three things. Verse 5 you're looking for Jesus who has been crucified. So the first thing he tells them, yes, Jesus was crucified. You're not imagining things. He died. Second thing, he is not here. He is risen. Although he was crucified, he's not in the tomb anymore. Thirdly, he's risen, which means he's not dead anymore, but he's alive. And then he tells them, just as he told you. In other words, you remember Jesus told you this was going to happen. Matthew 20, verses 18 and 19. Behold, this is Jesus speaking. Behold, we're going up to Jerusalem and the Son of Man will be delivered to the chief priests and scribes. They will condemn Him to death and will hand Him over to the Gentiles to mock and scourge and crucify Him. And on the third day He will be raised up. The angel saying to these women, what He predicted to you has happened. He died, but He's not here. He's risen. Then, the angel invites the ladies to come look in the tomb. Verse 6. Come, see the place where He was lying. He's saying, come see for yourself. They know Jesus was in the tomb because remember, they were still there on Friday afternoon when Jesus was put in the tomb. They came to see. But now the tomb is empty. And the angel says, look for yourselves. Come see the Lord is alive. And in verse 9, as they're leaving the tomb, the Lord Jesus himself meets them. And what Jesus says here, look at it. Jesus met them and greeted them. What it literally says is, Jesus met them and said, be glad. Be glad. This is a joyful greeting. Now pay attention to verse 9, what they do when they see Jesus. They came up, took hold of His feet, and worshipped Him. One Bible commentator explained it this way. To take hold of the feet is at one and the same time intimate and profoundly self-subordinating. This is what they did. They prostrated themselves before Jesus and took hold of His feet in an act of humble worship. Now whatever they might have believed about Jesus before, there was no doubt in their minds now that He was both Lord and King. So they respond in the only way appropriate to the one who is both Lord and King. 
they humble themselves and worship. These ladies have now been presented with three proofs of the Lord's resurrection. Proof number one, the announcement of the angel. He's not here, he's risen. Proof number two, the empty tomb that they saw for themselves. Proof number three, they saw the Lord himself with their own eyes. Again, Matthew's message to you and I is very clear. Christians worship a risen Lord. I want to read you a statement taken from the writings of Martin Luther King Jr. when he was in college. Listen very closely. The last doctrine in our discussion deals with the resurrection story. This doctrine upon which the Easter faith rests symbolizes the ultimate Christian conviction that Christ conquered death. From a literary, historical, and philosophical point of view, this doctrine raises many questions. In fact, the external evidence for the authenticity of this doctrine is found wanting. If you're not sure what that means, it means he didn't believe it. In his autobiography, Martin Luther King Jr. wrote this, At the age of 13, I shocked my Sunday school class by denying the bodily resurrection of Jesus. That's from his own autobiography. But here's the, here's the thing. Even though he denied the literal bodily resurrection of Jesus, he could still say he believed in the resurrection of Jesus because he redefined it as a, quote, spiritual experience. That's what we call theological doublespeak. That simply means he talks in a way that's intended to make people think his beliefs are orthodox, when really they're not. If you pressed him far enough, you would find out he didn't really believe what Christians believe. He didn't believe in a literal bodily resurrection of Jesus. Let me be as clear with you as I possibly can. The resurrection of Jesus was not merely a spiritual experience. On Friday, Jesus died physically. On Sunday, He rose from the dead physically. Literally. And any person who denies that cannot rightly be called a Christian. Christians are not people who follow the teachings of a long-dead religious figure. Christians are not people who just believes in the ideals that Jesus taught. Christians are people who say in the words of the hymn we sang this morning, I serve a risen Savior. Christians believe in a risen Jesus. Revelation chapter 1 Verses 17 and 18. This is what Jesus himself said. I am the first and the last. The living one and I was dead. And behold I am alive forevermore. And I have the keys of death and hell. We've made two observations. First we've seen an act of loving devotion. Now we've seen the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. Now the message Matthew is trying to convey to us will come together after we notice this third observation. A command to go and tell. Verse 7. The angel gives the ladies instructions. 
They are to go to the disciples and tell the disciples three things. One, the Lord has risen from the dead. The second thing they're to tell them, he's going to go ahead of you into Galilee. You see, at the time, they're in Jerusalem. So the angels, the, the Mary and the other women are to tell the disciples, okay, the Lord's risen from the dead. He's going ahead of you to Galilee. Third, you're going to see him there. They're going to go tell the other disciples, Jesus is alive. They have heard the news from heaven itself. They have seen the empty tomb. Now they're to go and tell. Verse 8. They left the tomb quickly with fear and great joy and ran to report it to the disciples. They're still somewhat afraid naturally. But now it says they have great joy. And you notice what it says? It says they ran to tell the disciples. They ran. The news that their Lord is alive has filled their hearts with such joy that they can't wait to go tell this wonderful news. Now watch verse 10. This is after they met Jesus. Jesus said to them, Do not be afraid. Go Take word to my brethren to leave for Galilee, and there they will see me. This is the second time they're given the command to go and tell. This time from Jesus himself. Go tell my brothers that I am alive. If the ladies had great joy, Simply after the angel announced his, that the Lord was alive. Imagine how much greater the joy they have is now that they've actually seen him with their own eyes. Imagine how eager they are now to go and tell. But here's a question I want you to think about. Why does Matthew record this command to go tell twice in just a few verses? Why does he repeat himself? Again, he's wanting to make sure Christians get the point. Christians are those sent to go and tell. Again, he's holding up these ladies as an example. Look, if you're not sure repeating the instructions twice is enough, look what happens eight verses later. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations. The Great Commission. You see what's happening here? Three times in a matter of verses, this command comes forward. Matthew says, Go and tell. Go and tell. What these ladies did are what we are to do. The answer to the question we started with, this is it. What would Jesus want us to do in honor of His resurrection? Go and tell. One night when I was 16, me and some other boys were hanging out in a parking lot in Bogalusa, Louisiana. Two men approached and one of them Asked, can you guys tell me how to get to heaven? Before I tell you what I said, 
I want to remind you, I was both lost and a smart aleck. When he asked, can you guys tell me how to get to heaven? I said, I think I got a gun in the back seat. The man never missed a beat. He just said, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him would not perish but have everlasting life. What those men were doing is what the Lord is calling you to do. Go and tell. Go and tell. You go and tell people that Jesus died and rose again for the forgiveness of sins. You go and tell people that Jesus conquered death and hell so that they could have life in heaven. You go and tell people that because Jesus lives forever, all who believe in Him will one day live forever as well. Don't you see? The Lord wants us to follow the example of these precious women of God in this story and eagerly and joyfully go and tell. Now we've made three observations from this text. We've seen an act of loving devotion, the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and a command to go and tell. When we take these and put them together, the message of this text becomes very, very clear. Driven by loving devotion for the risen Lord Jesus, Christians tell others about Him. Driven by a loving devotion for the risen Lord Jesus, Christians tell others about Him. I don't know if you noticed how this text is structured. We have three times we are pictured the loving devotion of these women. Then at the end of this section of Scripture, we have three commands to go and tell. And right in the middle is the resurrection of Jesus. Matthew's telling us, Christians are people who should be driven by loving devotion for the risen Lord to go and tell. Most of you and I, most all of us, learned John 3.16, we're just children, right? I want you to say it with me. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. I just proved to you that you know how to go tell. I'm going to ask you to make a commitment this week. Would you tell two people about Jesus? Here's how you can do it. Simply greet someone, recite John 3.16, and hand them a gospel tract and an invitation to our church, which I'm going to give you before you leave. I want you to do that this week for two people. Go and tell. It would look something like this. Hello, friend. I'd like to share some good news with you. God loved the world so much that He gave His only Son so that anyone who would believe in Him would never perish but have everlasting life. I'd like to leave you with something to read. Would that be okay? You can do that. You can do that. 
the tracks and invitations will be provided for you. Will you make that commitment this week to tell two people? Is your loving devotion for the risen Lord enough to compel you to tell somebody? Phil Calloway was driving with his five-year-old son on a lazy Sunday afternoon and they passed the cemetery. And uh, there was a freshly dug grave by the road and you know what it looks like? It's got the big pile of dirt and the holes there. And The little boy saw it. And he pointed and said, Look, Dad, one got out. That's exactly what we're celebrating today. We're celebrating the one who got out. Jesus is alive. And because he's alive, hope is alive. Hope for every hell-bound sinner who is dead and sin and separated from God. Hope for every man, woman, boy, or girl who will turn to Him in faith and repentance. Listen, this news is far too marvelous for us to keep to ourselves. How can we keep silent? Look, do you want to celebrate Easter in a way that will please the Lord? Then go and tell. Let's pray.